Let us come to God in prayer. Let us pray. <clears throat> May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and sent to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Between my first sermon back in November last year and the first three sermons of my time here so far, we've begun to explore what these early chapters of Acts might say to us at this time. In Acts, we find the early church experiencing, we might say, the winds of change. They are on the cusp of change, huge change, change like they had never seen nor expected. And so Acts, especially these early chapters, gives us insight into some core things to hold on to in the midst of change. And we ourselves are in the midst of change. You have a new minister you haven't remembered, and that'll bring change. And that probably already has brought some change, and you might not be too sure about it, but maybe we'll get there. And more broadly, the, the church at large, including the Church of Scotland, is experiencing change. As a denomination, our numbers are falling, and we struggle to know how to engage with today's generation. Indeed, I think we actually struggle to engage with any generation that comes to church, doesn't come to church, not just young people. And our denomination too forecasts that minister numbers will drop even further, that in 10 years' time or less, the number of ministers will half be half of what they currently are just now. And that will mean one minister for every three churches. We are very much in changing circumstances. And Brighton's parish church will not remain unaffected. And what's more, you personally, in your own circumstances, may be facing change of one form or another. Change is everywhere. And so what core things has Acts taught us so far? Well, we've thought about how Jesus is risen and his ministry does continue even to this very day. We've seen that part of his continuing ministry is to challenge us, to force us to reconsider the box that we have him in so that he can expand that box or even blow that box apart, leading us into greater fullness of life with the aid of his Holy Spirit. And last week, we thought about how Jesus was shown to be the Messiah and that he is Lord, that in Jesus we see the reign of God. In our passage today, Peter has covered the same ground we have, and he reaches that point where he says, therefore, be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Messiah. But the moment doesn't end there, for we read on. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? the people are conscience-stricken. They are convicted of their need to respond 
in some way. They are convicted of their need for Jesus, convicted that their faith has not been in Him, but in other things and in other people. Another translation puts it this way, cut to the quick, those who were there listening asked Peter and the other apostles, brothers, brothers, so now what do we do? So now what do we do? That question is as applicable for us as it was then, in the midst of change. So now what do we do? After we know whom Jesus is, that He is alive, that He is Lord and Messiah, that His ministry is continuing, so now what do we do? So now what do we do when we know He is challenging us and calling us to expand the box? So now what do we do? We read on. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. First off, Peter says to repent. And to repent is much more than saying sorry as we often teach the children or feeling remorse for what we've done. True repentance is when our minds are changed about Jesus such that our attitudes towards Him change too and consequently the direction of our lives change as well. In essence, we need to know for ourselves what the Apostle Paul wrote, that he, Jesus, died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So we see here that repentance involves two things, really. First, you can't truly repent if you don't know who Jesus is or why he died. And in that same passage, Paul writes in verse 21, God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. And it's a strange sounding idea. But what Paul wants us to understand is that Jesus, the perfect, holy, sinless Son of God, was treated as a sinner and paid the price for our sin. He took our place for us. But why did God do that? Why did He do that? Because that just sounds monstrous. Well, our God is a holy God. And thank God that He is. Thank God that He is holy. Imagine, I've got a couple of pictures up here of the brokenness and sin we see in our world. And imagine a God who could overlook those things. Imagine a God who could overlook that. That God would not be righteous. That God would not be perfect. That God would not even be loving. Because love does not delight in evil. And so sin offends God. It grieves God. And it creates distance between us and God. And so we need a Savior. We need someone to save us from the distance we've put between ourselves and God and the brokenness we have brought upon ourselves as a race. And that Savior is Jesus. He is the Messiah. Jesus died that we might be reconciled to God, that we might be forgiven of our sins. 
But it's perfectly possible, it is perfectly possible to know all this, to know who Jesus is and why he died, and never to repent. And so Paul's words in 2 Corinthians come up again. He died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. That is the mark of true repentance. Do you live for Jesus? Does he shape your life? You will know you have truly repented when you see Jesus as he is and you can honestly say he shapes your choices, your values, your priorities. You won't be perfect. None of us will be perfect before heaven. But if you can say you see Jesus as he is, you know why he died and he shapes your values, he shapes your life, then you know you've truly repented because you know you're living for him. That's true repentance. But as I say, it's it's entirely possible not to repent. It's entirely easy to do that, to come week by week, because so often we only get half of the story. In the Church of Scotland, we have not been good in calling people to respond. We shy away from it, and we leave people shortchanged. Sure, we tell them God loves you, and we tell them Jesus died, but we don't tell people they ha- the next bit that they have to respond. And so they miss out on the whole package. And I am a testimony, my life is a testimony to that failure in our denomination, but also of God's grace. And I want to share you a little bit of my story. I grew up in the Church of Scotland. I was baptized in the Church of Scotland. I went to its Sunday schools. I went to youth fellowship. And I remember one time in my teenage years of, for some reason, being motivated to read the Gospel of Mark. And I went to my minister with my questions, and he simply brushed over them. He didn't engage. And I could never understand his preaching. Hopefully you understand mine. And I cannot remember hearing about the love of God, and I'll tell you about that most weeks. And... I never really heard that I had to respond. And so I went to the youth fellowship until it stopped when I was about 16. And then I went to the Sunday evening service because at that time I was working for W.H. Smith in the morning. And I thought I genuinely was a Christian because I went to church. I helped run my local Cub Scout pack. Don't hold that against me if you're a BB. And I had a good public image. Three boxes ticked. I'm a Christian, surely. But over the course of my teenage years, I grew in confidence. But with that, I grew in selfishness. And that particularly impacted the girls I dated. For it was all about me and what I could get from the relationship. And it came to a head when I was out celebrating my 19th birthday. And the parts I can remember from that night, not all of it. The parts I can remember from that night continue to shock and horrify me. Really, honestly, my selfishness was rampant and I lived for me. 
But in the wee small hours of the morning after, God met with me. I was lying in my bed. I hadn't been to church. I hadn't been reading the Bible or anything, but He just showed up in a moment. I was on my own. I wasn't even concerned about with God at that point. But He came and He convicted me of my sin and I repented. I didn't even say anything. See what that does for your theology. I didn't say anything, but I died to self. And I got up that morning, a new man, a new creation as Paul puts it. And I no longer lived for self. Sure, I wasn't perfect. I'm still not perfect. Go ask my wife. But I'm a new man. Jesus shapes my life. He is the center of it now. His will and His call and His goodness and love on the cross are the things I try to build my life upon. Friends, we don't all need to have such a dramatic change, but we do all need to repent, to respond to the good news of who Jesus is and why He died, such that He becomes the center of our lives and then live for Him And hopefully you've heard that before. But if you haven't, and if you know you haven't repented, today, as Paul reminds us, is the day of salvation. And today can be the day of your salvation. And so as Christ's ambassador, I implore you, be reconciled to God. Humble yourself, truly repent, come to God anew, and set your hope upon Jesus because He's offering you life beyond imagination if you will only respond. Before I became a Christian, I thought I knew what the good life was. I thought I was living life to the full as a young man able to do whatever I wanted. But that wasn't the whole truth. It's only through Jesus that you can know life in all its fullness. And it won't be an easy life. And you won't live the perfect life until heaven but it's a life beyond imagination, a life that we all hunger for in the depth of our souls. Friends, if you haven't repented, if you don't live for Jesus, then today could be your day. And afterwards, we will have a time of prayer after the sermon. That might be the chance for you. Or come speak with me after the service, and together we can help you into that new life with Jesus. But I know that I'm speaking to many people who have repented, and that is glorious. It's so good to be amongst brothers and sisters. But if you are a new creation by God's grace, then there's a call upon your life, and you need to hear this today. Because we're reminded that every one of us is called to repent, and when you do, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is that gift given for? We've heard in recent weeks from Ollie and myself that the Holy Spirit helps us to know who Jesus is and assures us that we are children of God and brings forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is given for another reason as well. Paul said, All this is from God who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. If you've repented, If you count yourself a Christian, there is a call upon your life to live for Jesus by being His ambassador, His witness. And so you are called into the ministry 
of reconciliation. You are called to share your faith. You are called to see everyone you meet through the lens of the cross and to give of yourself to that very ministry, the continuing ministry of Jesus. And today I want to focus very briefly on our hearts and our outlook. Because in all likelihood, some of us feel like this. Some of us shy away from this for any number of reasons. We might let fear or feelings of inadequacy, or awkwardness, or past negative experiences put us off. But we might also shy away from it because we're not motivated to do so, that we can't say with Paul that Christ's love compels us because Christ's love does not compel us. And that too may have happened for any number of reasons. But whether you shy away because of fear or for lack of love for God and neighbor, Today, God calls you back. He calls you to have the right heart. He calls you to live for Jesus. He calls you out of fear and out of apathy. Because today, now is the day of salvation. And what you have received is not just for you alone, but for everyone who Jesus died for. And friends, if this is you, if fear or apathy holds you back, or if you hold back because you don't like the new minister and the crazy things he's already doing, who cares? Jesus calls you to live for him. He calls you to share your faith. He calls you to give of your life for his church and for the people of this world. And if this is you, if fear or apathy or how you like the new minister are holding you back, then you need to do business with God today. And again, in a few moments, we'll pray for that. So we need to have the right heart, but we also need to have the right outlook. We need to see, we need to appreciate that now is the day of salvation. Now is the day. Now is the time. Now is the day when People can enter into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Now is the time, as Richard was reminding us, for broken hearts to be mended and injustices to be challenged and the poor helped. There are so many broken people and scenarios in our community. Now is the day, now is the time for the kingdom of God to come in our midst. And for that, we need to have the right outlook. We need to see the world as it truly is, but we need to see it as it could be within the kingdom of God. And for that, you need the right outlook. You need to see that now is the day of salvation, that we are on the cusp of something. If only we will give our all to usher in the kingdom of God. Friends, we're in changing circumstances. And more change will come and will need to come if we want to know life in all its fullness for ourselves, together as a community, and for this wider world, change will need to come. And for that to happen, we need to have the right outlook that now is the day of salvation. And we need to have the right heart that the love of Christ compels us, because then we will give of ourselves to that change. We won't be scared of it. We'll actually lean into it. And before you knew it, before you knew it, and I can't wait to see more of it, we'll really be living for Jesus. And there will be incredible things happening in our midst, and lives will be changed one after another, and we will have so many stories to share.
Because then we will be participating in the continuing ministry of Jesus. And it won't just be the minister or the elders or the prominent people that you can think of who are sharing stories of seeing God at work. You will share stories of what you see God at work in your life and through your life to other people's lives. Because then you are participating in the ministry of reconciliation. Brothers, sisters, what shall we do? First of all, have you repented? Do you live for Jesus? Secondly, will we commit to this ministry of reconciliation? Do you have the right heart? Do we have the right outlook?